Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 203 of the Speaking Club podcast. I'm sure that for you as well as me, this year has had ups and downs, possibly more of one than the other. One of the things I've been working on over the past 24 months is developing my spiritual side and connection with abundance. And I wanted to share this thought with you because it's helped me reframe the downtimes and because when I look back, it has proven to be true time and time again, even if in the present, things haven't looked positive. It's from Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is, and I'm just putting it out there for you to try on and see if it helps you let go and worry less in the coming year. Everything happens for me, not to me. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking. And because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey there! I hope you had a great Christmas holiday. Did you watch every free Christmas film on Amazon and Netflix? Did you play board games? Did you overindulge in food and drink that you'll spend the next six weeks regretting? Well, that sums up my Christmas. Thanks for joining me again here on The Speaking Club. And as we turn to thinking about next year, you may well be pondering a question I get asked quite a lot. How do I get more speaking gigs? And it's a question that's become more difficult to answer over the past few years. And that's because more people are recognising speaking as the powerful marketing tool that it is, which means that the number of aspiring speakers has grown exponentially and the competition for speaking gigs is incredibly high. So if you're a speaker or business owner wanting to build your brand and audience, any ideas that can help to give you the edge are really valuable. And that's one of the two compelling reasons that I asked Ben Bennett to come on my show. Firstly, Ben has developed a strategy for getting more speaking opportunities. And secondly, he's a sales expert and business coach who wants to change the way that sales is seen. Now, Ben has been in sales for many years and today he works with small business owners and startup founders to enable them to understand the power of selling in order to take control of growing their customer base consistently. Founder of Second Voice, Ben is also a mentor to the NatWest Accelerator program and host of the South Coast Sellers Club. Oh, I'm excited to share this interview. So let's get going. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Ben Bennett. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I had the enjoyment of a great conversation with you. And having had that conversation, I thought I need to get him onto the show. So here you are. Let's hope everybody else wants to hear this. They <laughs> <laughs> will. So I wanted to first off ask you um, about when you were young. Now, you wanted to be a DJ, didn't you? But there were some challenges and I wondered if you could share a bit more about what they were and what you did to overcome them. Yeah, so this is part of my life that is not widely publicised. I mean, it's uh, probably my late teens, so 18, 19 years old. I'd been clubbing for a, for a while and then got a real passion for actually playing music um, and dabbling in writing as well. And as you can expect back in those days where, uh, where we were freely allowed to go to nightclubs is... Um, every every man woman and their dog wanted to be a dj and it was uh it was one of them things of actually being able to stand out and i was talking to my dad about it so still living at home and he he, he challenged me and he, he just said you know well what you're not getting any gigs what have you actually done about it and it was a brilliant question because when i actually look back at what i was trying to do 
to get gigs, I was going clubbing. Um, by going clubbing, I wasn't speaking to promoters or trying to push myself in any way. I was just having a good time. So recognizing that there were zero plans or effort on my part to actually get the gigs, I just assumed that they would come because someone would find me, you know, the, uh, the talent that exists on the dance floor, which was an absolute fallacy. So, um, so what I started to do was yeah, create demos and record some CDs and creating all the artwork for the cases and, and going out and actually not enjoying myself, but going to find the bookers and the, the club promoters and the venue owners and, and just getting these CDs into the hands of people. And it was partial success. Um, but the, the real change came when I started entering competitions. So it wasn't a capability issue. It was an awareness issue. People just didn't know me and I didn't have the, the uh, knowledge or know how to, to get myself out there. And I just wanted to play. So, um, I started entering DJ competitions. Um, I won the first one at my university, which was Thames Valley, which is now university of West London, uh, and won a set at home at Leicester square, which is no longer there. Um, won a competition at Turnmills, which is no longer there. Um, this isn't a thing when I DJ places like they don't close down. And, uh, yeah, from, from those club nights, I was offered, um, a residency for one of the competitions that I won, uh, which was like a seven in the morning thing on a weekly basis, which was fairly soul destroying, but it, it enabled me to, to get that experience under my belt. And then from there, I met a bunch of people, um, that we were all on a similar path, all had different skill sets. Um, and we ended up running our own night and we ran a, run a club night called Puzzle Project, which was at the 414 in Brixton. It ran for years and years. And it meant that we all got to DJ month in, month out um, and bring in fantastic DJs from other clubs. And because we were doing that for them, it became sort of like a reciprocal thing. And we ended up going to play at other clubs and we toured Amsterdam uh, for what was Queen's Day at the time. Um, you know, big street parties, uh, and I ended up through just sheer determination, um, and, and passion ended up playing some of the biggest clubs in the country. And that turned into starting to write music. And, you know, I even had one of my tracks getting ended up signed by Sony. So from, from a lad who was in his bedroom, assuming the world would come to him, actually, when, when I started to devise a plan, ended up having really great success at it. Um, but more importantly, I just, I really loved the whole journey of discovery and, and, and how it all began. So yeah, that, that's, that's how I sort of went from being a no one to a, a next to a no one. <laughs> I just, I love that story because there are so many parallels, not only with, you know, people, I mean, this is the speaking club. So there are people here that want to get into speaking and there's a bunch of competition around that. Um, and, but not only that, just in business and the way people need to stand out in business. And it's like, what are you prepared to do to fight for your dream to get that attention and, and all of that stuff? And I love that your dad set you on that, on that trajectory. And do you think that the lessons that you learned from that experience have helped you go from there to what you do today? subconsciously absolutely and it wasn't until a couple of years ago that i made the connection you know i was working with a coach and you know we we recognized that part of my passion is performance in one form or another you know and i've, I've been in performance most of my life through used to be a dancer you know i've done a lot of talking gigs at work and running events but the djing piece and actually it, although it still terrifies me being on a stage with an audience is where um, you know, I get the butterflies and I'm really passionate about it, but recognizing the steps that happened arguably accidentally as a, as a wannabe DJ, but looking at what happened on that trajectory to be able to look at how that has impacted my business and my career. Absolutely. They align 100%. And, um, there, there's part coincidence, part accident, and, you know, a lot of deliberate action, but you know, when, once you've found the formula, it's something that you can implement and repeat over and over again with, without too much difficulty. Cool. And I love the words you use that you use deliberate action. I talk about intention and inspired action. And I think that's exactly it. That's what will make the difference between success and failure. And I guess, so tell me about what you do today and, and actually how you went from 
you know, being a superstar DJ to <laughs> to to where you, to what you do today. Well, I, I want to put in the disclaimer there. There's no superstar about it, but it's. Um, I think DJing was is is a great thing, and um, you know, still is a passion. But it's it's safer the the living room. It, it was very apparent that I was never going to make a a career out of it, or to be able to to afford what I wanted to do with my life, um, unless I reached absolutely the highest level, and I had neither the time or, or the inclination to do so. Uh, and as soon as I recognised that was the case, I started to to focus on my job and you know being in my early early 20s, late teens. I was one of these individuals that fell into sales. And so I, I've, I've been on the phone and door knocking since the early early part of my career. So you know, sales for me was just a really natural fit um, and something that I enjoyed hugely and you know, accelerated my career quite quickly because I'm one of these people that's always looking for the next step. And it needed to be something that fitted my personality and my skill set. And, and sales, although it was a, an accidental job uh, that I fell into, like a lot of people do in sales, it was something that I absolutely thrived within and really enjoyed because I got to talk to people all day, every day. Um, you know, not, not always on the pleasant side of business. So not everyone is so receptive to being sold to, certainly back in, the, in those years. But it was about finding something that fitted uh, what I enjoyed and what I wanted to do longer term. And, and that's when I made the transition to become a, a salesperson rather than a performer. And what sort of things were you selling in the early days? So I started out selling um, commercial property data, which uh, which sounds entirely uninteresting. And actually on the face of it, it quite, it quite very much is. Um, but it's incredibly valuable to... Um, you know, commercial property estate agents who are, who are looking to do comparables and find valuations of office space and find their next tenants and so on and so forth. So it was a real specific need and the business actually boomed um, and, and was acquired by an American firm. And, you know, there was, there was rapid, rapid growth and then uh, another sale further down the line. And I went from there over to uh, selling media, so advertising. Uh, specifically in around recruitment advertising, so in job boards. Uh, and I spent many, many years in job boards and sort of honed my craft. And, and that's where I was uh, heavily supported by some phenomenal managers and got to got to accelerate even further and went from uh, you know being an entry-level sales exec to being a sales manager within 18 months. Um, didn't succeed in that management role and there's many reasons for that um but that you know just because you're a good salesperson doesn't mean you'll be a good manager so i moved to um another leadership role in a separate company took over a team of three then took over another brand took over a team of 12 uh then you know bounced around the media and job board landscapes doing um a number of turnarounds on some brands um if you look through my profile you'll you'll see them on linkedin but essentially uh, understood and recognized very quickly that um, I loved teaching, really, really loved teaching and mentoring. Um, and that was further cemented when I ended up in an events company running the delegate sales team. And uh, there was a fantastic guy there um, called Tony Lloyd who, who brought me in and, and supported that whole commercial function really, really well and enabled me to be a better trainer and a better leader uh, than I ever possibly could have done on my own. And it was at that point that I thought, you know what, I think there is there is something more here. And instead of enabling sales teams for other people's businesses, why don't I go out on my own? And um, we relocated my wife and I down to Brighton on the South Coast about seven years ago, um, had a, a short stint with an agency. And then from there, uh, set up Second Voice, which is the business that I run now, which is all around sales enablement and, and business development growth for uh, freelancers, small businesses and startup founders. Brilliant. That's really cool. Uh, do you know what you reminded me? I remember when I was like 18, I actually sold situations vacant for a newspaper. Like a, 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 and I was like, well, that was that was hard work. That was <laughs> trying to sell that stuff. That was hard. The thing that you've done there as well is not just with the DJing, you've also created your own stage for your current business and message. Can you tell me a bit more about that and how you went about, about doing that? 
Yeah, sure. And I think this is um, it, it's something that is, is now, like like you said, really deliberate now. Uh, before it wasn't, um, and the the run up to that was around you know me trying to get speaking gigs, me trying to appear on podcasts, me trying to just uh, you know improve awareness of uh, my company Second Voice and my own ability and personal brand, and and that was really hit and miss. And I found it. Um, it's quite frustrating in the fact that, again, as a new business owner with a skill set, I still had very little reputation. Uh, and so why would people want to talk to me? And there was a bit of imposter syndrome there as well. And, and you know, sometimes that still exists. So I think the, the difference between continuing to pursue that avenue and, and, and try and work with other people, I do, hence I'm here and, you know, really enjoy to do so, but wanted far more control over that process. And in partnership with an organization in Brighton called Silicon Brighton, we set up uh, an event and a, a meetup called the South Coast Sellers Club. And it's a free to attend thing. But the idea is that we're bringing together business leaders, sales leadership teams, uh, sales people, just to better understand what they can do in the world of sales and selling, you know, demystify the dark art of it and show people that it's not a dirty word. It actually provides value. And it really came into full effect in lockdown because people wanted to be able to continue to grow their businesses and there was a lot of fear around. And so by running these free events, we ended up building an audience and um, maintaining that audience, which slowly turned into a community. Uh, and, and now, you know, we run, we run regular events and I'm doing more and more things on LinkedIn as well. So I'm starting to do a lot more LinkedIn live sessions and things like that. And the idea is that what I want to do is give all of my knowledge away. And that sounds counterintuitive because I sell that as a, as a service to my clients. But what I want to do is enable people and let them see what it is that's involved. And by creating a platform, by running webinars, by doing LinkedIn lives, even building a mailing list, you know, you're, you're creating and owning that audience. And I can't emphasize the value of that. You know, if you're looking to go and uh, spread your message further, Think about how you're going to grow that audience yourselves. And there's no better way than giving away your knowledge for free. And don't worry if it's going to be perceived as valuable or not, because you've got years of experience. You've got perspective that others don't have. So it might not be knowledge and tactics and capability. Sometimes perspective is equally as important uh, that people want to hear about. So yeah, don't be fearful of creating that opportunity for yourself to, to share that experience and knowledge and i think the other thing to say here because i think it's almost i don't know if you'd agree now the sort of barrier to entry is giving value and sort of education but what you're doing alongside that is building the relationship and for me if you don't build the relationship alongside adding value then you're just educating someone else's customer Yep. And, and I think that's that's a distinction that's important to make with the difference between what you're doing versus someone just giving away a load of content. You know, um, that that is a, an important distinction, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I think it's around consistency uh, that as well. So first of all, you're building trust. You are adding value. But, you know, having an open door policy where people can come and ask questions of you either privately or in a closed group, because you know, we, we look at the way people are using social media now. Nobody is going to, even LinkedIn's turned into a bit of an Instagram where everything looks rosy all of the time. The fact of the matter is it is not. And people are becoming more and more fearful of um, asking questions in the public domain through fear of persecution or I don't want my customers to think that I look weak or, you know, whatever it might be. But when you create that environment, so it's not just about the delivery it's having a mechanism behind the scenes where people can just knock on the door and ask a question. And I love the fact you touched on imposter syndrome. I think we, the, an episode I've done recently is all about that fear of being judged and why it stops us and, and, and ways to sort of counter that. But um, that's really, really cool. You know, there's things that you can do, but you kind of just got to move through it and work through it if you're committed to getting the message out there. And if you believe that you can help people, which clearly you do and you have yeah it's it's the imposter syndrome is a really interesting one so for somebody who loves being on a stage i get terrified going on a stage and it's um a mix of 
nerves and you know positive butterflies confused with anxiety potentially I, I don't know what it is but you know what I got given a piece of advice and the fact of the matter is you're not on that stage to be judged by the audience they are in the room to listen to your content you're not going to get heckled or have tomatoes thrown at you or whatever it might be people are going to be interested to hear what you've got to say because that's why they're there in the first place so when when I had that perspective you know it's not about me it's nothing to do with me it's all about them and their experience and as soon as you can make that distinction it, it certainly made life a hell of a lot easier for me yeah exactly that it's about you being the vehicle for the message not the the sort of the main thing that people come to see that's really cool now we've talked about sales sales has got a bad rep hopefully it's changing but why do you think it it's still got that and particularly in the UK, I think as well, we're, we're a brand on our own here in terms of how we feel about sales. But why do you think that is? Um, I would congratulate the 80s and the 90s for that. It's uh, sales tactics have changed, right? And I think, you know, you mentioned the UK versus America as an example, where sales, people want to leave school, college, university, and go and become salespeople because it's lucrative. You've got freedom, you've got an opportunity to learn and, and be your own master and I think here um, it's very much not like that you know you fall into the job because you know, similar to me it's like oh well that pays good money and you follow the money and you don't really know what you're letting yourself in for and you can find yourself in boiler room environments which are 100 calls a day plus uh, high activity low value and it's just it was uh, and in some cases still is sadly, but it was peddling things that people don't want and force feeding it to them uh, in the hope that people will submit and, and say yes. And so when people look at sales now, certainly my clients, their fears are that they don't have the gift of the gab. They don't want to be pushy. They don't want to convince some someone to buy something that they don't want. And all of those things are entirely misplaced. You know, that isn't what sales is. Sales is about, you know, understanding it's under, you know, empathy and support. And it's more about enabling a path to purchase rather than forcing one. And I think the, the conception that sales is a dirty word is, well, it upsets me because I know how valuable it is and, and you know, it's compulsory to any business. Um, but it doesn't have to be this really pushy, underhanded tactic view, because I, I don't believe it is. There are operators that still work like that, but ultimately they're the ones that will start to fail um, because they're playing volume and numbers game, which, which just doesn't work in this day and age. Our buyers and our potential customers are far better educated than they ever were before. So they're not just going to fall for the tricks from the 1990s. So, you know, start being a decent human being and adding value. And that's all it comes down to, really. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that people actually love to buy. And if you believe that what you've got to sell will improve someone's life, then if you don't make that sell, then, you know, not giving them the opportunity to change their life in a positive way. So it's quite, I would say it's quite selfish if you, <laughs> if you don't sell what you can do to help people. So one of the things that's always interested me is how a lot of people confuse sales and marketing. How, would you make the distinction between the two in, in your opinion? Yeah, well, I mean, there's probably a third one in there as well, which is business development as well, and, and actually defining you know, the difference between sales, business development and marketing. So from my view, and again, this is fairly widely adopted, but still an opinion is that the marketing is mainly geared towards that attraction and attention piece. Okay, so it's how are you getting on somebody's radar? Short of picking up the phone and doing a cold call, it's about positioning value, brand and awareness and being in the public domain consistently so that people have you on the radar when they, they've got a, a reason to engage. Business development is around working your network, seeing how you can pay it forwards, helping others. Is there anything that's mutually beneficial that you can do with each other? It's not a direct, I'm going to speak to you and my desired outcome is a signed contract, it's very much a, a nurture, a long-term play. So it might be 
building a network, going to networking events, not to sell, but to make sure that you understand how you can add value to that group of people. Uh, so again, in time, people will be aware of you and can come to you when they have a need. Uh, but sales is actually being down in the, uh, in the dirt, doing the hard work. Um, and what I mean by that is somebody may be aware that they have a problem already or they ha visibly have a problem, but they may not be aware of it. And then you're in a position to enable a conversation or a process where you can take them from A to B, A being um, I need to find out a solution for my problem and B being the correct solution for the problem. Um, and I think even taking somebody who has got a problem through a sales process, there will still be caution on their part. There will still be due diligence that they will want to do. Uh, and they may still want to compare you with a number of other suppliers and providers. But it's about holding their hand, giving them support, demonstrating that they are your ideal customer, that you've worked with people like them before, that you solve their specific pain point, and you can prove that you've done it before in an effective way with great results. And if you can take someone through that journey, that is the sales process. So I would say sales is more um, enabling and, and uh, encouraging and supporting the mindset of the individual in the situation. Marketing is more of the awareness um, an attraction piece, which happens 24 seven while you're sleeping. Um, and even though public speaking is a marketing channel as well, you can't do that while you're sleeping, but having recorded content that can work on your behalf, similar to this, you know, it, it will become evergreen content that will stay on a site and people can download it. Having those assets available to you will feed into that marketing funnel as well. I was just going to say, actually, if we were putting this into sort of a live example, this would be well, it could be marketing and a bit of selling as well. So in this conversation, we're talking about you and your expertise and your brand. So you're building your brand and attracting people into your world. And then there may be people who contact you who you perhaps aren't directly selling to, but would be a great contact for that business development. And there will be people who listen to this and think, oh my goodness, I need to have Ben's help with my business as well. And then it's about having that sales conversation with them is that is that a fair sort of summary of it i completely agree far more succinct than mine it's um <laughs> I, 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 it, a lot of the time as well you know you're going to end up speaking with people that, that have their own biases and you know these are learned behaviors where you know they'll be resistant to spending money uh, to to resolve a problem and sales is about helping them overcome their own bias and, and saying well look it might cost you 500 pounds to fix this problem with me, but if you don't fix the problem six months down the road, it's gonna cost you 7,000 pounds by taking no action. And sometimes it's just allowing people to see a different perspective of their own situation. Um, so it isn't always about, you must use me, I'm the best, look at my experience. It's, it's helping them understand what, what they actually need. Yeah, I love that. It is, it, shifting perspectives is one of the best ways to get people to see why they need that they've got a job to be done and yeah. they need to they need to buy to buy something to sort it out what's the biggest mistake that you see business owners making that is risking the future success of their business um i would say it's probably spreading themselves too thin and what i mean by that is trying to be too many things to too many people so i, I work with software companies, um, uh, coaches, accountancy firms, whatever it might be, service providers. And one of the most common things that I come across is that they can do lots for anyone. And the issue with that is you don't really have a clearly defined message for anyone. And, and so by being specific about a type of business or an industry or even a geography will help you really narrow down and be specific about what it is that you, that you do and who for, so that when prospective customers do become aware of you, they recognize themselves in your comms and can understand that actually this is something they should be finding more out, out more about. And, and so I, I would simply say, try to, to niche, and that's scary to be able to cut away 90% of opportunity and say, right, I'm left with this 10% that is specific. It's a really scary thing to do, but it's, arguably one of the, the best things and most liberating things you can do for yourself and your own business to, to have that absolute laser focus. Um, and I guess another one that, that my finance friends would 
would suggest is having limited or no financial controls in their business. So really understanding what your targets are, what you need to be making for survival uh, or growth more importantly, and you know, actually getting to the point where you understand every penny in, every penny out, so that you can reinvest or invest into the areas of growth that will allow you to, to capitalize and, and continue to grow your business, whether you want to remain a, a sole trader or whether you're employing people and want to employ more to, to boom that growth. So it's around focus and niching and financial controls. So on the flip side then, and I guess two of them may be focusing in and making sure you have financial controls, what are the three essential things, maybe on top of that, that you would advise business owners to do to ensure that their growth is sustainable? So uh, it's that old saying, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail. You want to sit down you know, either on your own or, or with help. You know, if you're in a position where you can create a really clearly defined roadmap or plan for the next 12 months, what is it that you want to achieve? And look at those really top level objectives. Um, now, it might be a monetary value of turnover by the end of the year. It might be that you want to achieve winning a number of tier one clients. It might be that you want to partner with a different brand, what, whatever it is, work out what those objectives are that you want to achieve over the next 12 months. But most importantly, write them down. Okay, so thinking about them is fine, but by thinking about them, they stay in the gray matter and they don't really manifest and they just end up spinning around thinking, I should have done that six months ago. Um, if you write them down as a goal, you can then work backwards to look at the steps required to understand how you actually get there. So when you've got clear goals and objectives, you can then start to map what the tactics are to actually reach them and achieve them. Uh, and then the, the, so you've got the tactics, you've got the goal, uh, and then right at the very beginning, you need to implement the right behaviors and habits so that you keep the routine. Um, working with all of my clients, I'm too busy to sell, okay? It's every single person says that, and I challenge that every single time. If you can't find half an hour to, to do certain activities and, and carry out certain behaviors in terms of growing your business, and you're only going to deliver for your existing clients, your existing clients will essentially decrease and your business will go under. So having the right implementations of behaviors and forming really good habits, keep the routine, will keep you on point, delivering the tactics to meet your overall objectives. Write it down, get it on a post-it note, stick it on your screen, put it somewhere, share it with your company if you've got more people, but keep yourself accountable. Um, otherwise it's very easy to, to flip from one task to another and looking back at the week and thinking, I haven't actually got anywhere. I've just been pushing paper around my desk. Oh, I love that. And I, I quite like the, the, the sort of those three distinctions that you made. So would it be sensible for someone to allocate, you know, some time each week or each day for marketing, for business development, for sales, and actually compartmentalizing those three things? Because they are different activities. They're all for the same goal, which is building your client pipeline and getting more sales and growing your business and not just the short term, but the long term. Is that a good idea? Absolutely. I would say it's fundamental. It's not even a good idea. It's fundamental. So your sales and marketing efforts should be aligned. You know, they should be serving the same purpose, similar to what we've just said. It's about having the outcomes and the objectives that you want to achieve. But if you are not spending 30 minutes every day doing X, Y, Z activity, then you're going to be doing other work that is not going to be feeding your business with new opportunities. And I liken it to... You know, having a bath with the plug open, right? You're running the tap and you should be filling it in with new opportunities. And the second you turn the tap off, the bath empties. But what you want to be doing is being in a position where you're filling the bath faster than the plug is taking the water away. And that means you're going to lose opportunities. That's just business, right? You're not going to win everything. I've been doing this for 20 odd years and I have never won everything in my life. So it's not so you couldn't do it, but I'm yet to see it done. So you just want to make sure that you've got more coming into that top of that sales pipeline, uh, more opportunities, more conversations are coming in than there are going out. 
and that's how growth happens. And if you're not dedicating the time to the right activities, and they will be different for every business, but whatever those activities need to be, newsletter creation, LinkedIn outreach, running events, doing podcasts, whatever it is, if you're not dedicating that time, I would say daily for consistency, um, then you will find yourself in a position where your revenues go through peaks and troughs. Because what happens is your client work finishes or a project finishes and you look up and you think, oh, I haven't got anything for the next couple of months. And you work really hard to drum up new business and you do because you're brilliant. And then you end up with some great projects and then those projects finish and you stop and you look up. And what that does is it has those peaks and troughs and with that comes pain and anxiety and money worries. Whereas if you're constantly doing good and filling the pipeline, revenue stays like that. Yeah, I love that. And do you know what? The other the other aspect to this is that I just thought of, I don't know if you agree, is that if you are getting to the point where your your bath is almost overflowing. So let's say you're a coach and you've got one-to-one clients and then you've got too many one-to-one clients or you're a speaker and you've got too many gigs. The fact that you have not got space makes you a more attractive prospect, more exclusive and in a, and can also build your brand and generate more sales. The cachet of not being available makes you more attractive. So it's a, you know, it's doing that job as well. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're indirectly playing hard to get. It, it's, it's very true. And when you're in that position, and I sincerely hope that, you know, everybody gets to that position at some point in their, their business journey, is that you can then look at different offerings. And, you know, if you're having these one-to-one conversations, uh, and your your capacity, create a group, you know, group sessions and looking at different business models to to look at that demand. And then you, you get to be in a position where you can uh, be creative with how you service your target audience. If everybody is filling up their bath and it's overflowing, I'll be incredibly proud and happy for you. And so, you know, we talked about niching, having clear messaging so that people can answer the first uh, part of the sales process, which is, is this relevant for me? Yeah. Um, let's talk about you. So if you had to, I mean, we've talked around it, but specifically, what is the transformation that you in Second Voice can offer uh, to to people and who are those people? Um, I, so quite simply, it's about giving people the controls and the capability to do it themselves. And I think my view is that you know, you've got freelancers, you've got small business owners, you've got startup founders, and these are owner operators. And most of them have ended up in a position running their business because they're extremely good at what they do. Their first clients come from existing network, and therefore they are able to get the business up and running and take that leap away from full-time employment and go for it. And you know what, hats off to you because it's not an easy thing to do, and it's a really brave step to take. So to get that far, you're already doing incredibly well. The bit that we then focus on with our clients is saying, beyond your existing network, how do you create sustainable revenue growth without it being a draw on your resources and your time and without it having to be, I'm pushy or I'm convincing someone to buy something that they don't want. And what I do is I will work with individuals either in a group program or on a one-to-one basis to enable them to understand what their objectives are but then give them the toolkit to show them how to do it and how it doesn't need to be hours of labor, speaking to utter strangers in the hope that someone might say yes. Uh, And we run an eight week program, it's called the Orca program, uh, and you can find that on my site. But that is everything from defining your ideal customer to mapping out your benefit statements and your value propositions so that they are powerful, um, to defining which channels your ideal customers are in, how to communicate with them, at what point, what are the triggers so that you know that they might need to hear from you. And then using tools, technology and frameworks to help you measure and increase performance on what it is that you do so that the outcomes are clearly measurable, demonstrable return on investment. And so that you can see, actually, if I'm investing half an hour every day into this activity, that's turned into 14 new opportunities this month that could be worth £10,000 each, arbitrary numbers. But the idea is, is that we're demystifying it. We're putting in some basic processes so that people can control it themselves. And my, my view on consultancy is quite an interesting one. And I don't believe that people should be paying 
tons of money long-term for consultants. You know, it's, yes, they have a specialty and I do consultancy work, but it's about going in, doing the fix, enabling and leaving. If you have a reliance on any consultant, then you're in a position that you need to start thinking how you can take control of this yourself. And that might be controversial to any consultants listening. Um, and uh, it, But it's important to really determine the difference and where you should be investing your time and effort. And I'm all about learning how to do it. You may choose not to do it yourself, but knowing how to do it so that you can work with, with um, outsourced agencies, business developers, uh, marketing teams, whatever it is that you need to, to achieve your goals. Um, so that's, yeah, from, from A to B, really, it's enablement. Cool. Yeah, like you're teaching people to fish themselves or at least and then being able to understand whether the people supplying, the, you know, they're doing a good job as well if yeah. they are going to outsource. Love that. Okay, Absolutely. Cool. I try to avoid fish analogies because I use them in my group. I use them so often. It's just <laughs> embarrassing. So uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. One last sort of thing before we go into our standard questions. Why second voice? What was the what was the um, story behind that? Uh, so the name I learned this um, when I started out at Telesales in one of these media companies. When you're on a phone selling um, and you prospect and you're trying as hard as you can and you've got them as far as you can through capability, or perseverance, whatever it is, but you can't get them to that next step, you bring in your manager, <laughs> you give them the phone, and they second voice it. And it's basically, um, it's, it's somebody supporting you to get the desired outcome that you want, it, but it's a telesales phrase. So oh, I need someone to second voice this call. Um, and that's where it came from. And it, it's kind of just stuck. And at, at the time I remember thinking, actually, is this an appropriate business name? But it's, you know, over the last six years, it's just stuck and it's a, it's a thing now. But I guess the, the nice way to look at it, it's about supporting you to get where you need to by having someone else's perspective and experience. So it's accidentally ended up tying itself in. Nice. I like that. That's cool. And I'd not heard that before. So uh, I didn't have a second voice when I was in telesales. Anyway, there we go. Um, <laughs> so cool. Right. I'm going to um, touch back on where people can find out more about South Coast Sellers Club or working with you in a little bit. But I have some standard questions to ask you first, Ben. First one is, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? Well, first of all, it's increased my own confidence. Um, so from a personal level, the more I've done it, the more I've enjoyed it. And the more I've understood how to deliver better value for my clients. But, but speaking publicly through my own events or through other people, it's enabled me to reach a far broader audience and hopefully add value. Um, and yes, I've won clients from it. But the objective for me, first and foremost, is adding value. And it's been a, it's been a fundamental part of my business processes now and moving forwards and will continue to do so. Brilliant. And have you had a gig that you're like, oh my God, I just want to forget that ever happened. Is that, has that happened to you? Are we talking about speaking gigs or yeah, speak, speaking? Oh well, yeah. Speaking <laughs> predominantly. No, I, th I think, do you know what? Most of the painful points of those, those gigs and those events have been my own worries and anxieties and, in the build up to it. So having to take myself off into a corner for a quiet moment and have a word with myself. And the second you're holding a microphone or the second you open your mouth, the dry mouth goes away. The words just come out and then all of a sudden peace. So I've never had a bad one. I've had empty rooms, you know, I mean, as a DJ, I've been DJing to myself on a few occasions. And uh, trust me, that does nothing for your self-esteem. Um, and you know even even through webinars I've, I've i've run them and i've had four or five people turn up where you know and and that's all right because you know you only need one person to hear what you're saying so no is the short answer i think all of them have, have been valuable in some way or other but the disaster has been me <laughs> not the event itself but i suspect that that anxiety which everyone has is completely normal was the sort of spur to prepare properly to make sure people were going to get what they needed out of it and yeah. so i see anxiety as a positive and certainly before the gig as well it's just getting you into peak performance so that you're ready to yeah. to go out there and kick it in the face um cool okay next question what's the book that's had most impact on your life and why so you've got um thinking fast and slow daniel kahneman so 
I mean, it's not a page turner. It's a tough read, but it's um, so it actually the theory that he utilizes in that book is around system one and system two thinking. So system one being a really uh, learned bias, quick, responsive uh, mindset and system two being a far more slow, considered uh, thought process. And that has formed the basis of almost all of my training in in sales and selling. And if you're going to have an effective sales conversation, you need to be able to move somebody from a bias point um, where they think immediately no and encourage them to start thinking in different ways and taking different perspectives to see what the opportunity might be so that they're in system two. So that was a really, really powerful book, Art of War by Sun Tzu. Uh, so again, that's really short, but I found it really fascinating. Um, you know, it's, it's all about uh, ancient uh, war tactics, uh, but actually are really heavily used in um, the political spaces, in, in business. And, you know, you've got to read between the lines and, and draw the information out of it. Um, but they're, they're, uh, they're two really, really good books, I think, uh, that are well worth reading. Brilliant. And we'll put a link to those in the show notes. OK, what's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why? Oh, put me on the spot probably around authenticity and you know you can you can go out there and try to be something or be someone because of what you believe people want you to be but the best thing you can do to run your own business um, is be authentic be yourself and you'll find that the people that don't want to work with you you probably didn't want to work with them anyway so being authentic and, and being true to yourself is, is probably the best bit of advice I've ever got. And even now, you know, I still have to make sure that I maintain to do that because again, the performer in me wants to be someone for someone else. Um, but don't, you know, the, the work that you do, the, the background that you've got, the human that you are is your biggest asset. So, you know, take one step forwards with pride and wear that as a badge of honor that you are you and, and people will love you for it. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Cause everyone else is taken anyway, as they say. So, um, cool. Uh, last question then, if you can have, if you could have any mentor alive or dead fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? You could have prepped me with these. <laughs> who would I choose? Who would I choose? So I'm reading, and I don't even know if this is a good one. I'm reading Dave Grohl's book. So the uh, the, the front man of the Foo Fighters and the drummer of uh, Nirvana. Nirvana, yeah. And I mean, his life is just fascinating. And one thing I've noticed within that is like, just kind of similar to what I've just said, really, is he's always been himself and tra- stayed true to himself, but finds himself in these situations and, and is not afraid to take those leaps. I'd, I'd Someone like that, or Matthew McConaughey, yeah. His book is phenomenal as well. I think it's up there. But um, so, yeah, that, those two individuals, I would, I would gladly sit and work with and listen to all day long for life experience and advice. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot to be learned from, from those guys. Fantastic. Well, listen, Ben, thank you so much for, for all the stuff that you've shared. Uh, hopefully we've created some light bulb moments for people around sales and also what they need to be doing in terms of uh, their baths. Um, I love that one. If people want to find out more about you working with you in the Orca program or South Coast Sellers Club, where's the best place for them to go? So my website or LinkedIn. So if you go to secondvoice.co.uk, you'll be able to find information on the Orca program, um, feedback from the clients that I work with, the types of projects that I've worked on before, uh, you can join the mailing list uh, and most importantly something that I've always wanted to do and continue to do is pay it forward so if you want to set up a call with me to have a free entirely no obligation conversation on where you are with your sales at the moment just just give me a call and, and we'll happily work that through um, if you join the mailing list we've got access to uh, ebooks which you can which you can get which will give you some great um, starting points to, to implement a sales plan um, and also we've got a scorecard that I'll share all the links with you actually, Sarah, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, um, and then you can go and take the free quiz uh, and understand, you know, what is the, uh, how, how is your business looking from a, a sales setup perspective and, and, and go to market strength. 
but the website will be the main one or you can find me on LinkedIn uh, if you just search for Ben Bennett and you'll be able to find me uh, but the URL I think is ben-bennett-performance. I'll happily connect and uh, share all of the good stuff with you and I look forward to, to hearing your own stories as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much again for your time and all of the great stuff that you've shared today. No, thank you for the opportunity. Great to, great to chat. What did you think about that? Has it given you some ideas for creating your own speaking platform? I absolutely loved the bath analogy as well that Ben uses. And I see that mistake made, and I've made it myself before, of losing focus on the pipeline when the bath is full and having to start again from scratch when the work has been completed. And if what Ben talked about and connected with you, then do go and check out his website, the ebooks and scorecard. All of the links for those are in the show notes and maybe have a call with him if you think you could improve your sales. Before I wind things up, I did want to say that one of the big ways you can definitely get more speaking gigs is by doing a great talk. And if you want to up your speaking game in 2022, there are two ways that you can work with me. If you already have a signature talk, but you want to work on it and get some coaching on how to make it more engaging, then the Speaking Club Live membership would be a good option for you. And you can find out more about that over at saraharcher.co.uk slash club. Oh, and don't forget the prize draw, which is open until the 30th of December, where you can win three months membership of the Speaking Club. And you can find out about that over at saraharcher.co.uk slash 200. Or if you want to get a great signature talk, if you haven't got one already, then my Nail Your Signature Talk program would be the best option for you. And you can do that one-to-one with me or in a group program. You can find out more about that at saraharcher.co.uk slash nailyourtalk. No spaces there, just nail your talk altogether. So thank you again for joining me. Have a wonderful New Year's Eve and I'll be back next week to give you some more story-led speaking and marketing aha moments. In the meantime, you know the drill. Don't you forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking in the new year. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humor, and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.